What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Struggle to Strength podcast, your source for real-life application on how to turn your struggles into strengths in all things mind, muscle, and money. I was excited to talk to you because, like, reading your bio, um, one, Travis was, uh, we were talking before the podcast about, like, traditional Eastern versus Western medicine, and, like, I feel like most people who are deep enough in the health, in the fitness industry, like don't really love Western medicine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very reactive. It's very like, uh, funded by the government. Take this pill. It'll fix that. Whatever the side effects are. So I was really excited to talk to you because based on just the fact that you have like traditional Chinese medicine integrated into your training and your nutrition and things like that, just like having a harmony in all those pieces is kind of how I approach my clients. So um, it's cool to connect with someone on the literal other side of the world who shares that philosophy. No, it is. It is so cool. And and I think that's what technology is all about, right? Instead of just going on social media, looking at random posts, why don't we listen to each other's perspectives uh-huh. and kind of move on from there and, and take what's good for us, right? Yeah, of 100%. course. So um, yeah, I guess today, like, what we mostly want to talk about is obviously your approach, the differences between traditional like Eastern and Western medicine, how we can kind of take advantage of what you, like traditionally you guys started doing and the Western world was like, now nah, we can't make enough money off that. Like, let's just make pills and shit. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. Right. Let's be real. There's like in the Western society, it's like, there's more money in treatment than there is in a cure. And I'm not really about that. So I would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to talk about just like optimizing health and performance. Um, I'd love to talk about your book. And um, is there anything that like you specifically want to get across, like get out to the world that you want to talk about? Uh, well, not really. I think, uh, well, well, Dining Balance, my book is, is uh, predicated on the fact that, well, we looked into three different areas, your diet, the way you manage your emotions and the way we should approach movement training. And so I think if we can just get the message across that different aspects of our lifestyle is actually intricately linked and, and that it's, it's actually impossible for us to just say, Oh, we're going to look at our diet without looking at our mental health or mental, mental well-being. So as long as we get that across, I think for me, as long as we can educate uh, the listeners in the most organic way possible for me, I think that would be a win. Hell yeah, dude. And I'm really excited to dive into that because most that. people don't make those connections, you know, like your gut health and your mental health are so closely related. So I would definitely like to dive into that as well. The gut's like um, the second brain, right? Or maybe the first it is the it second is, brain. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I think 80% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. So I'm like, give me more of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, man, I'm excited to dive in. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I appreciate you coming on to talk to us and to, to kind of educate our listeners a little bit before we get into it. Uh, why don't you just t- take a moment to introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, where you're from. I know you spent some time in the States, so you're familiar with how things go over here and what you've been able to sort of learn from all of your travels and what brought you to where you are today. Yeah. Well, if you go on the internet today, you'll find an overwhelming amount of information on health and fitness. So with my background and uh, with the master's in exercise science, my job is to help people deconstruct and to break down all these overwhelming information so that people don't have, essentially don't have to waste time doing things that don't actually help 
their health and performance, but actually in corporate practices that gets them to strive. And so I do personal training, I do group classes, I do workshops, and I do now webinars and corporate talks. So that's been exciting. Nice. That's awesome, man. It's nice to be able to take your your knowledge and your education, your desire to educate to a broader audience. So like corporate talks, you get to reach a lot of people in a lot of ways. And all we're looking for is impact. Like you, you want to create large impact. And with what you're talking about today and what we're going to dive into, I know we're going to be able to do that. So I'm excited, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Of course. So tell me a little bit about your book to start dynamic balance. We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk about your book and then I'd like to dive into the pieces of that book. Sure. Uh, well, think of it this way. The title of our book is dynamic balance. The reason why that is, is because our body and our fitness needs are always changing. So they're dynamic as of the situations around us. But yet, if you look at our current model of medicine in, in the West, in the U S uh, particularly, we like to treat every aspect of lifestyle in isolation. So the three that I could most likely think of is diet, emotions, and the way we train. We, we think of them in isolation. But um, I think what we ought to do is to take a holistic approach because a lot of times we, we don't understand that there's a close link between these three areas of lifestyle and, and other aspects of lifestyle as well. And actually this interconnectedness has been the cornerstone of traditional Chinese medicine. And so in, in this book, I just wanted to educate those of us who are Western educated in kind of the philosophies of Chinese medicine so that we can take inspiration from a model of medicine that has existed for thousands of years. Because ultimately it is through understanding different perspectives that we find what works, works best for us because everybody's different, you know? So mm. that's what dynamic balance is all about. We want to look at your training, your diet, and your, the way you manage your emotions through the lens of tra- traditional Chinese medicine so that we can improve your performance, live a healthier life, and of course, reach your health goals. What are the foundation, like what are the main foundations that you, that you wrote about um, and what's like the real difference between the two, I guess? Yeah, I think the, the difference between the two would definitely be one is more isolated and one it's more holistic in, in, in not in the spiritual sense, but just the sense that everything is interconnected. So for example, in, in Western medicine, you would just look at each organ, like a, a, a <laughs> professional medical doctor, you just study one uh, body area, which is good because that means you are an absolute expert in that one area. But if you go to Chinese medicine, they kind of refer to the body as a whole. So you, you don't really look at your gut uh, without looking at your emotions, for example. And, and, and that is quite a big difference between the two medicines. Yeah, that's well, huge. It is, it is massive. And it's, um, you're right in traditionally in Western society, like Western medicine, we do have experts. Like we have an ENT doctor. We have like all these specialists. I've been in, I've been in too many hospitals to like know <laughs> all the different wards and everybody's an expert. And if you, if there's something else involved, we have to pull someone else in. Do you have any insight or like idea as to why the Western world just started using this approach? Well, uh, put it this way. So I, a little bit about my background, I grew up in Hong Kong and when I was 13, I went to the States for 10 years and then I came back and, and now I'm a strength and conditioning coach here in Hong Kong. Uh, and I would say that 
the way that we are educated in the U.S. is everything is black and white. So we want to know what a thing is or what a concept is. So when it comes to medicine, okay, just tell me what this organ does or just tell me anatomically mm-hmm. what does this muscle do. But ex- except when you look into Chinese medicine, things are a bit more philosophical. So uh, if I could elaborate a bit further, I, I think the reason why people get confused with all these Chinese medicine terms, for example, we hear a lot of the, the word qi, right? Uh, in, in the US, everyone has heard of this term. And yet if you look at most terms in Chinese medicine, they often have both a functional meaning and second, a philosophical meaning to it. So what does that mean? Functionally, qi just means energy. So it's a currency in explaining energy like we do in the West via using ATP, right? We'll use ATP, uh-huh. but in, in, in Chinese medicine, they will use qi. Yet there's also a philosophical component because we're referring to something that does not exist tangibly. So you can't look at qi. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the second part is where people get confused. Uh, but, but for me, it goes down to the fact that in, in the U S and the West, we, we don't like ambiguity and we like it when things are black and white. Yeah. I th- that's almost yeah. like another, I feel like that's almost a podcast topic right there. Like the difference, like the, the difference that language can create into so many other things, like just the way that our language is even structured is very like very specific. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's super interesting. Yeah, it is. And, and, and it is built, built on culture. So I think if today, if you look at a book, if you read a book on a medicine, that's not, that's from another place that, that is not the U S if the authors don't really explain the culture behind these language, then I think you're not really going to understand the point because without understanding a, a place's culture, you're not going to understand where these terms came from. So yeah, you, you're absolutely right. That is super interesting. And, and you're right. I think in a tra- traditional American and Western societies, there also comes down to this, like, we want an answer. Like, we want an answer. We want to know what's wrong. And doctors and healthcare, especially in Western medicine, it's like, this is, it's like you said, black and white, ones and zeros. This is what's wrong. This is how we fix it for that one thing. Right. But what happens when you fix it and there's a domino effect down the line, either because of the medication or because of some other variable that you didn't think of, now there's another problem. So I agree. I think a holistic approach is much more sustainable, much more successful, but it's really interesting to hear. I I guess I never quite thought of relating culture to the terminology being used. And that's why I think why a lot of Americans in particular don't understand traditional Chinese medicine or Eastern medicine because they don't, we don't understand as, as generally like where those words come from and what they actually mean. Like chi to me and to, I think a lot of Americans, like you said, it was just energy, but we think of like Tai Chi, right? Yeah. And yeah. not anything much deeper than that. We need an understanding culturally of where those words come from. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And you know, when I, when I came to the U S so let me tell you, growing up in Hong Kong, I had difficulty finding people explaining to me the tangible benefits of Chinese medicine, other than the fact that I had to drink herbal tea, you know, you drink herbal tea to stay healthy. Yeah. Like, what does this do to me? Oh no, it's just good for you. Yeah. All right. So, okay, fine. And then, uh, okay. So I, I kind of disregarded it just because I, I was misinformed like we all do, right. If no one is able mm-hmm. to explain to us what this was or what this theory is based upon, uh, then we, we are likely to just disregard it. So then when I went to the U S well, things were really alternative because then, you know, 
chi was used all over the place. It was a mis- mystical force, if you will. And then you go into the mall and you always find this dodgy massage uh, store where there's the yin yang <laughs> sign and yin yang is a slang in the US. And so, so I think all these things, it just clouds the topic further. Um, so that's kind of, uh, but let me tell you, this all changed when Michael Phelps in the Olympics, he started using cubbing methods. So yeah. in the 2016 Olympics, when he started using cubbing techniques on his back, I think this sparked a conversation on, again, trismesin because, okay, so does the technique actually work, which is fun to see because that's kind of the, the turning point for me as well to look back to my culture, if you will, because <laughs> I'm I'm deeply influenced by my U.S. day um, before this. Yeah, I'm really curious. Like, does do you find that traditional Chinese medicine have things that sort of phase in and out of what is recommended? I mean, you mentioned like the herbal tea and Travis and I, like growing up, our parents were like, drink milk. It'll make your bones strong. And like, (laughs) avoid salt. Salt's bad for you. Fat's bad for you. Carbs are bad for you. And like these phases come in and out. Does the same thing happen in traditional Chinese medicine too? Uh, Well, I think Chinese medicine, it it boils down to a couple of simple principles. And that is that you're, you're, they always talk about changes. So if you think about, I, I like to draw parallels with the Western, uh, with the Western terms, just so we can better understand. If you think about homeostasis in the West, you know, the self-regulating process that our body goes through so that we can fight against uh, changes externally and internally, that's kind of what they're after as well in Chinese medicine. Uh, but the methods in getting there have always been quite clear. And that is, we should just live according to our body condition. So, um, yeah, we should always just eat real food and you want to eat fruit, uh, you want to eat food with the right, right properties for your body constitution. Um, and, and most likely that would just mean eating foods in season and eating foods that are around you and fresh. And paying attention, I imagine, to what those foods feel like, you know, like as in America, we were like taught to drink milk because it's good for your bones. Bro, I'm lactose intolerant. Like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, it was yeah. not good for me, but everyone was like, drink milk. It's good for your bones. And it took a while for people to be like, hey, maybe I shouldn't drink milk. Like it doesn't agree with me. It's being shoved down our throats. But it's interesting to hear that traditional Chinese medicine, it's like you really do just pay attention to your, to your body and what it needs rather than what everyone is telling everyone is good for everyone's body. Because if you try to appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. You're right. And, and I think especially in the past, I'd say in the past five, six, seven years, uh, we, we are starting to realize that even though foods can be breaking down to, you know, uh, carbs, proteins, and fat, different meats, it, it actually lists the different swans from our body. So it, it, some people are starting to realize that you can't just assume pork and chicken are the same because they're protein, uh, because that, that mm-hmm. biomechanics, uh, or that biochemist approach perhaps is not the best for the human body because we're not a machine after all. We all respond to different foods a bit differently. So I, I which I, I think that we're kind of merging the two principles because, because I think, as you said, a lot of people, a lot of people in the West who are into health will realize that well, all these supplements, they're meant to be supplements, but if you just kind of take a lot of them, it might not be good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Everything with a balance and, and everything should be 
to optimize the individual's health. So I'm curious, I, I know that you mentioned that you learned a lot about your stay in the States, and I'd really like to dive into the three main sections of your book, like the diet, the emotions, the movement and training. Um, just, I guess, to start with movement and training, I know that you mentioned that your stay in the United States has kind of shifted your um, philosophy on movement and training. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I think in, in Hong Kong growing up uh, in, in, I don't make a generalization, but I think in Asia for the past 10, 20 years, people don't like resistance training because there's this idea that bulking you up will make you slow. So the Japanese national soccer team, uh, they, they were against training a machinery because they, they believe, or they thought that being jacked would mean that you're slow. And when, when I was in school, what I learned is what well, that actually is dependent on how you train. Because let's say today, if I am a bodybuilder, you know, people do a lot of slower reps and we, we are trying to train uh, for size for, and, and we are trying to train in isolation because we are targeting specific muscles. That's, that's the sport. And, and as such, you learn to use different muscles in isolation. So yeah, bodybuilders are training in isolation rather than, yeah, yeah. yep. Yeah. So bodybuilder, uh, they train in isolation as that's as required by the sport. But yet, if you look at athletes, perhaps that's not conducive to how they move because the best athletes are the ones who can coordinate and the ones who can move right. And if, mm -hmm. if for those athletes, our priority should be helping them move better. Yet, I think in, in the traditional bodybuilding world, because bodybuilding was the only way to fitness. So I think this, it created this misconception. But uh, the, the, the reason why I was influenced by my stay in the U.S. is in the U.S., what I do like is the idea of an evidence-based approach, right? Whether we're actually implementing it, uh, not quite sure. But at least the idea is there uh, is that our, our, what we do should be predicated on science. So, mm. um, so that's kind of what I had learned in terms of uh, training, that there are different ways to train to elicit different outcomes. Yeah. It all comes down to principle of specificity and, you know, like people, and I'm sure people come to you and they, you know, they say, Hey, I want to be better at pull-ups. And we're like, all right, well, you should probably do pull-ups. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. if, if you want to, if as a soccer player, if you want to be better at sprinting, uh, you should probably sprint and do other explosive leg work. So you train with the specific adaptation that you're aiming to impose. And that's very interesting to hear that you've, you've kind of taken that back to your training uh, in, in, in Hong Kong. So, yeah, I, I would say that definitely, uh, two things, right. I think in Hong Kong, we're still catching up in general, we're still catching up to the U S because in the U S you've got like, you've got different people doing different things. Uh, mm -hmm. and that's good because there's diversity in what we do. Um, so it, in Hong Kong, I think we're, we're still catching up on that. And second, you know, on the principle of specificity, I think back in the day, people also abuse it. Right. Uh, when I, when I was training to become a soccer player, I went to the gym and I hired a personal trainer who was the, who was the, jack, who was the hugest guy in, who was the biggest guy in the gym. And he was like, oh yeah, we're going to make you a soccer player. Let's have you do some leg raises. Cause when you do some leg raises, it mimics your kicking motion and you'll be able to uh, kick the ball further. And of course, as an 18 gullible high, uh, teenager, I believed in him. And I was there cranking out these, uh, 
uh, leg raises and it didn't help really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need some evidence to support the claims, you know? Yeah, and, exactly. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's really interesting. So um, I'm just curious, I'm just curious about what you talk about in your book, Dynamic Balance and, and, and how you talk about movement and training in that book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, for us, I think it's definitely, I, I definitely like the movement-based approach that um, most, some of us are starting to take in, in the West uh, because now most people are, are dividing the workout splits according to the movement pattern. So we've got push, pull, squat, hinge, and rotate. And I think these global movement patterns, it teaches your body to coordinate. And especially in the squat and the hinge and the rotate, it teaches you to push from the ground up. You know, I was taking a golf biomechanics course recently and they, they looked at the, the way our body moved and, and they always say the best athletes are the ones who can interact with the ground uh, best, mm -hmm. right? Because all, all force comes from the ground. And so I think if we can practice all these global movements, it teaches our body how to move in a synchronized way. I agree. And, and these are also movements that we do every day. So a lot of times, I don't know if this is, if this happens in traditional Chinese medicine or Eastern medicine, but like a lot of times, if we in the States have a back injury, a knee injury, whatever it may be. And we go to the doctor, doctor's like, Hey, you shouldn't squat. It's bad for your knees. Shouldn't deadlift. It's bad for your back. And I'm like, dude, how are you going to practice sitting down and standing up? How are you going to practice picking stuff up off the floor? Like well, you, you, you refer to these as global movement patterns. And in the States, we, yeah, we call them uh, activities of daily living, like squat, lunge, um, hinge, Pick up stuff. Yeah, 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 push. Like these are all things that you do every day. You have to practice. Like you come across a heavy door that you have to pull open. That's a row. Like we should practice that stuff. These are global movements. So I like the idea that, you know, you approach your training in a way that, optimizes just our ability to function on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and on that, you know, if I could just jump back, people ask kind of how is that related to the mental aspect? Cause we, we said that our balance is kind of built upon the fact that, Oh, okay. So our movement, our, our emotions and our diet are, are linked. And that is because of, if you think about the nervous system response, fight or flight or rest and digest yes. or sympathetic versus parasympathetic, it, it has an effect on our body because if we are in that sympathetic state, in order to prime ourselves for fight or flight, our fascia, our kinetic tissues, it stiffens up uh, just so that I can produce a lot of force. And on the other hand, in, in the parasympathetic state, my heartbeat slows down, my muscles and my soft tissues become more pliable because it's, it's trying to get me into that recovery state. So, you know, for, for most of us, if we don't ignore these two, we're going to wonder why we're stiff all the time. Because, well, turns out we could be stiff all the time because we are working for eight or nine hours a day in this highly stressful job. Right? And, mm -hmm. and so at that point, if you just do training that will stiffen up the muscles even more, then no wonder why you're going to have aches everywhere because you just stiff, 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 stiff. Yep. And I think a lot of people don't, they, they utilize movement as a way to mitigate stress, as a way to reduce stress. They're like, Hey, what do you do to manage your stress? Oh, well, I go to the gym, I work out not realizing that, Hey, that's also a stress on the body. That's just more for your body to recover from. And when you are training, you're in that sympathetic fight or flight state. So in, in today's society, we're constantly in that fight or flight state. It's like, you know, we're stuck in traffic. That's stressful. We have like our kids are driving us crazy. Maybe they're home from school because there's shutdowns and COVID and like there is tons of stress. So 
How do you talk about managing your emotions in your book? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, to understand kind of the insidious effects of our modern lifestyle, I bring it back to the yin yang philosophy. Because I think most of us, because of the because of the term, we, we know that it's black and white, which just means we have to have some yang energy, which is aggressive, calm, uh, aggressive, and fast paced, fast moving, and yin where it is slow moving and calmer. So for me, I, I think the easy way to approach it is if you look at the ratio of sympathetic versus parasympathetic. Right? Am I just kind of a go-getter throughout the day or do I leave myself some time to recover? And the chances are most people do not have enough or sufficient time in recovery. So for me, I, I can I can be honest, you know, in, in a month I have about these days I have 80 to 100 sessions. And sometimes I have eight sessions a day, which is typical for a lot of trainers, I suppose. Uh, and for me, I try to find 10 to 15 minutes of break where I sometimes even go just into the bathroom, into the stall, and I do breathing practice. Uh, because if I'm just walking around the gym, someone is going to approach me to ask some questions. I mean, they mean no harm, but it's just, dude, I, I'm just on six sessions. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I can't say that to them, obviously. <laughs> so I, 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 you find a quiet place and you try to work on your breathing because again, if we look at the association between our mental well-being in our body, my posture plays a significant role in how I perceive stress as well. Because if I'm in a hunchback posture, then it really will constrict the way I breathe into chest breathing, which elicits a sympathetic response. So I think the first thing that we have to do is to get into a nice open posture wherever you are. And then second, to manage your breathing, um, because that could kind of downregulate the nervous system and it at least gives the body a chance to reset and rest. Yeah, I completely agree. And you can control so much from your breathing. I mean, if you can learn to control your breathing, then you can control your sympathetic and parasympathetic states, right? Like if you're constantly stressed, then your breathing is going to be faster. Your heartbeat's going to be faster. You're going to have more consistent time between heartbeats as in your heart rate variability is going to be slow, going to be lower and you're going to be in that stress state. But if you can just calm yourself down and remind your body that it's okay, and that it's safe to breathe and relax, then your HRV goes up, your pulse comes down, you enter back into that parasympathetic state, and you can actually rest and digest for like once in your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. For the first time in forever. <laughs> for the first time forever. And if that means you have to like go into a bathroom stall or a dark room or like lock yourself away somewhere just for a minute, then that's fine. But I think as adults in modern society, we're like afraid to do that. Travis, what are you gonna say? Yeah, what are some what are some like tips for breathing? Like, what are how do you how do you yeah. go about doing it? So, you like you said, you know, definitely get away from like the busy area of your work, even if that's like going into the bathroom stall and sitting there for you know a few minutes. How do you how do you go about you know breathing? Like, what is what is deep breathing? I've heard you know I've heard different things like you want to breathe from your gut, but like how do you go about doing it? Yeah, I realize breathing is one of those that you could have like a 10 hour workshop on it and still have <laughs> like, yeah. uh, still be arguing about the best way to breathe. Similar, very similar to kind of uh, the way that flexibility goes, right? You know, in the fitness industry, people argue about what's the best type of stretches and, and, and so on. So for me, I, I have a few principles and that is, well, first when to do breathing. So in between sessions and I also like to do breathing before a meal. 
because I, I realize most of us, we usually just rush to our meals. So we, mm-hmm. while we're waiting for a meal, we might just go on social media just to harmlessly browse, but then it triggers our sympathetic nervous Stress. system because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You yeah. see a post, you're stressed out. You have to respond this, to- This fucker's on vacation and I'm working. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why am I working so yeah. hard? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, so, so definitely uh, before meals and in between gaps, of work and even when I'm waiting for the elevator. So whenever I am just standing there and if I have a chance to do nothing, I try to resist the temptation to do something. I think that's the most important part because I think in modern society, we're taught that we have to be a go-getter, we have to be a dream chaser, which means we cannot waste time. And I think this great noble mindset ultimately causes us to upregulate so much. So first of all, we have to recognize that it is okay to embrace boredom. I think that's that's the first important point. Dude, that's and then a really important that's, point. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like not to interrupt, but especially, I don't know, in the States, dude, if you're waiting in line, everyone's on their phone. And if you're not, you feel kind of weird. I yeah, you're I like yeah. what am I, I just sitting here like a psycho, not on my phone? I challenge <laughs> you, like whoever because it seems like you guys are all on this too. This is something that I do. Like anyone who's listening, I challenge you to like in those moments when you're in the bathroom is a big one. When you're waiting in line, like don't go on your phone and just like, see, see what happens. It's almost insane. Cause it's like, for me, I had like years of doing that. And I've, this is something I've been doing recently, which is like, I don't go on my phone in the morning. Like, you know, I, I put it away and, um, it feels amazing. And it's like, at first you're like, you feel like, overwhelmed by like the boredom almost. But then when you kind of get used to it, it's crazy. Like the places that your brain will go and the things that you will like decide and solve and figure out and put like a nail in just automatically, like subconsciously when you're not like pounding, flashing lights and like stimulus (laughs) into your mind from your phone. It's it's actually like, (laughs) it's a really small thing, but it's like super powerful. I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, even if you're so insecure when you uh, when you first do it, because you're like, whoa, everyone's looking at their phone and you start looking yeah. at Google screens, you're like, oh gosh. So now I, I usually, so if I'm on the bus or if I'm uh, in, in, in the subway, what I like to do is I hold on to the rail and I just stretch my lats and my pecs a little bit. Because for most people, usually they, they we are quite, uh, the muscle is quite short. So it's only going to help the posture if I improve my overhead mobility. So yeah. uh, if if you cannot stand boredom, find something else that could help your life instead of just <laughs> reverting back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, even breathing, like you, like you were saying, like if like resist the temptation to go on your phone, if you're waiting for an elevator, if you're in the elevator and breathe, because most people forget how to breathe or they don't pay attention to it. And then if you're listening to this and you like sigh a lot during the day and all of a sudden you just notice yourself like, like that's you forgetting to breathe. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. should be a note to you that like, Hey, maybe I should be more intentional about my breathing. So when you do want to pull your phone out, you're standing in line, you're at the elevator. Like Andy said, like breathe, just like focus on your breathing. So I think that's a great tip. Yeah. And, and actually for a while I had my, I had breathed as my iPhone uh, wallpaper just because I could remind us, remind myself. So when I pull it out, it just says breathe. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and the way I approach breathing is quite, fundamental. So I, I don't really go into the different aspects of breathing. For me, it's just a deep breath. I do some deep breaths through my nose. I definitely feel like my, my gut or my diaphragm is expanding. And that's, that's kind of it for me um, because I, I realize 
but I certainly haven't gone that gone down that rabbit hole yet because just from my schooling, I know that breathing could be a huge topic. But like anything else, I believe if we just stick to the fundamentals. Okay, I'm just going to take deep breaths, maybe four seconds in and then four seconds out. Mm-hmm. Something arbitrary like that. As long as I'm taking a prolonged uh, breath, for me it just works, and I'm not going to worry about all the small minor details. Yes, they might be great. But for me, I'm just trying to relax here. So I'm just going to take some deep breaths and go on with my day. Yeah. I think finding a, a, just finding a breathing technique that works and feels right for you as an individual is what's going to help you just breathe with a little bit more intention. And, you know, we started talking about emotions and we started talking about breathing, which I think is really interesting because people don't really connect the two very often. And if they do, it's really hard to identify in yourself. You know, I know when I'm stressed, I breathe very short and from my chest. And I'll tell you like my girlfriend and my mother will notice it before I do. And they'll be like, Josh, you need to breathe. And I'm like, gosh, you're right. Like I'm not breathing. You're right. You're dying. Yeah, Yeah, I'm dying. Exactly. (laughs) You're dying. (laughs) Please breathe. So breathing is a great way to help manage your emotions in some capacity. And by that, we mean manage your response to stress, manage your sympathetic and parasympathetic states. Traditionally in Chinese medicine, is there are there other sort of practices that are common to help people manage their stress and emotions? Yep, for sure. I think most most of the modalities that you commonly see, so the cubbing, the acupuncture, the scraping or the gua sha mm-hmm. and, and different types of massage, they're all meant for you to downregulate. Um, and then in fact, my, so I wrote Diamond Balance with a, with a Chinese medicine practitioner. She has a PhD in Chinese medicine. Her research was on acupuncture and mental health because I, that, that's a big area within Chinese medicine now, especially in the whole world. In recent years, mental well-being it's, it's like the big topic. And so yeah. um, now they're seeing great results in downregulating a stress response through these techniques. That's really cool. That's interesting. And so utilizing acupuncture to stimulate parasympathetic activity, essentially. Yeah. And and I'll tell you a funny story. Well, it is through looking at cubbing that kind of sparked the idea of me writing a book and me looking back to Chinese medicine again. So in, in 2017, 16, I was, I was doing a master's and in there we had in a statistics class, we had to pick a topic of interest. And for me, because of the Michael Phelps thing, I wanted to know what is the efficacy of cubbing? So does it really work? And, and so I looked into different research articles and different websites. And I found that there are two main perspectives when it comes to most of these uh, oriental modalities. One, the Western perspective. And second, obviously, the oriental, the Chinese perspective. In the Western perspective, usually all these methods, they look at your soft tissue. So if I'm doing, if I'm applying the cups on my skin, it, the uh, researchers are interested in the effects of cupping on releasing adhesions or perhaps on the state of our fascia after the treatment or our soft tissues. Yet, if you kind of look at Chinese medicine, that's kind of where things got mystical because they use a subset of language. Again, it goes back to how we just didn't understand because they would explain to you your qi, your blood, and how your your five elements and your yin yang should balance. And that's where it sparked the idea because, you know, I grew up in Hong Kong and spent 10 years in the States. And for me, I just wanted to turn that website off because it just made no sense to me, let alone the athletic population who would genuinely be interested in finding out more about these methodologies. So um, it is 
through cubbing or just through studying cubbing that this direct balance idea came about. That's really interesting. And I think, you know, as, as a, as a, somebody in the health and fitness industry in the States who understands the relationship between all of these uh, just variables that we're talking about, diet, emotions, movement, training. Um, I utilize soft tissue work and body work and cupping and dry needling and things like that all the time because I know that it helps manage my stress. It helps my recovery. And if it helps my recovery, then it means I can train better. I can train harder. I can train longer. I can train more frequently. And that gets me the results that I want, especially as a bodybuilder. It helps me train more evenly, helps my body move in sync with itself. And as a, as a unit, you know, like everybody's had shoulders that just don't quite operate well. Well, we need to figure out why, and we need to get in there and, and actually manipulate some of that soft tissue. So there's lots of traditional practices that can help people manage their emotions, not by directly managing the emotion. It's not like we're solving your stress. It's not like we're making your kids less crazy. We're not making your boss less of a dick. Like we're not solving those problems. We're just helping you respond and your body respond to the stress of those problems a little bit more effectively. So I love the approach in just like the, just the holistic approach in, in, in general of the emotions are such an important part of both diet and movement. So the last thing that I want to talk to you about, we haven't really gotten into diet very much. So how did you talk about diet in Dynamic Balance, your book? Yeah, it, well, in, in Dynamic Balance, we mentioned how, again, people categorize food differently. So in, in certainly in flip through any nutrition textbook in the health and fitness industry, you'll find that there's macro and micronutrients. And, and I think people are familiar with the languages within there. Foods are, are, are dissected based on their qualities or the content of <clears throat> carbs, protein, fat, and different minerals and vitamins and stuff. But yet in, in Chinese medicine, food are divided according to their taste and their property. This is where you go, what taste? So uh, there are, well, there are the usual flavors that we see and there's salty, there's sweet, there's sour, there's spicy and um, blanking again. Sorry. It might be because it's 7 a.m. that my, uh, my brain is not fully functioning. <laughs> what else yeah, is You just uh, woke up over there. Salty, sweet, sour, spicy. What else is there? Salty, sweet. Did I say sour? Yeah. Mm. Sour. Sweet. Oh, yes. Bitter. Bitter. There we bitter. Go. bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Like arugula. Arugula is kind of bitter. I was looking for another S for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Like there's so <laughs> many S's and then all of a sudden there's a B. Yeah. Yeah. There's a B. There's a bitter. Coffee. Yeah. Hey, coffee. Yeah, right there. Coffee. Coffee. Yeah. Yes, yes, coffee. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it is, uh, it is believed that why are they categorized based on their flavor? Well, it is believed that each flavor has a th therapeutic effect, which is kind of cool, I guess, because if you think about the Western side, if you think of sweet stuff, well, we know that sweet stuff, it gives you a sugar rush and it has glucose in it and thereby giving you energy. But in Chinese medicine, people figured that long ago that sweet food gave you energy. And so the, what they would say is anything that's sweet naturally, we're talking about not added uh, naturally sweet, it, it kind of gives you uh, energy. And on the other hand, they would say the same thing about other flavors as well. And so in each season or depending on the state of your body, you should eat a particular flavor more than the other. That's interesting. really interesting. 
Yeah. And that's a good way to think about it in, in a lot of ways, you know, now I'm thinking about like different salty foods, different sweet foods. And when I would typically eat them and what I know are in them, but we're not taught that we're not really taught about anything to be honest, nutrition wise, <laughs> like, like we're, we, we learned the food pyramid as kids and we were like, all right, carbs are bad. Uh, fat is bad. Salt is bad. Like all this, all this shit. Um, yeah. And, and they constantly change, you know, all these food pyramid and all these guidelines. Yeah. I, I think that's the, that's the most confusing part. You're saying one thing today and then, oh, tomorrow we could be all wrong. Yeah. And that's and, what um, I think is really interesting about traditional Chinese medicine is it's, it seems like it's, well, it's just more holistic in, in the fact that we're not demonizing certain things. We're just focusing on what feels good for you and when you should be eating certain things based on their taste, based on how they digest, based on how they make you feel. It's much more intuitive. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I think there's also an important, so this is where the word qi comes in when it comes to food. So qi, where we said it's it's used to explain energy. And, and it could explain energy in everything in, in our culture. So a body, you can explain it to the plants, to different stones that you buy. But anyway, so we're talking about food. You, so if you think of qi and then you think of the yin-yang symbol where you apply it to qi, so there's yin qi and there's yang qi. To understand it, you can just think about, so let's picture scenario now where you're sitting right next to the beach, you know, maybe in Cancun or something in May where, you're, where it's hot outside and you would like a drink. So at that moment, would you guys pick a coconut water or would you guys pick a hot chocolate? Coconut, coconut water. Yeah, yeah, coconut water. Anyone would do coconut water right next to Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and in Chinese medicine, it's believed that coconut water has a yin effect. So it brings the body temperature down and chocolate, hot chocolate has the other. It brings the body temperature up. So that's why intuitively we would know that... We, we should look for foods that calms us down when we're hot. And this just illustrates, you know, the, the, the healing, I don't want to say the healing properties, but the therapeutic properties of food. Yeah. That's really interesting. Does, I mean, it seems like traditional Chinese medicine and really just, just Eastern medicine and, you know, Asian population in general are much more intuitive and, pay much closer attention to how they move, how they eat, how they manage their emotions, like everything that you talk about in your book. Do you guys see the same rates of like disease and obesity as we do in the States or are we just like way blown out of the water? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, this is where, this is where usually uh, I, I need to be cautious in bashing the U S culture. Cause I think they're, they're, they're <laughs> backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. I'll, Don't offend anyone, Andy. I'll, yeah. I'll probably agree with you to be honest. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, I think in terms of the most obvious one is obesity um, yeah. because of the, of, of the American diet. Well, I'll tell you what, in, in health and fitness courses everywhere, the American diet is like the model diet, right? Uh, because yeah. oh, we need to have a certain portion of carbs, certain portion of fat and certain portion of protein. Yet, you know, American diet is the only non-diet in the world. There's so many real diets and, and we all know the American diet is not a real diet because it's just, big chunk of meat and <laughs> and and it's true i i think that i think people would agree in the u.s that there's just not enough diversity in the food that we eat uh, usually it's just the same food over and over and over again and vegetables were always so gross because just the way that they're they're prepared and yeah. this leads to a lot of obesity and a lot of um chronic disease um mm -hmm. and and i i don't know the injury rate um 
comparison just because I, I just not my expertise, but certainly from the people that I encounter, people are certainly a lot more nimble here when they're in their sixties, when they're in their seventies, you know, they don't have to be sitting in a chair all the time. They can move around, they can squat down. And, and that to me means everything because that means my grandpa or that means my, my son's grandpa, my dad could pick up my son, even if he's in his sixties. And, yeah. and on the other hand, we know in the U S people are having trouble squatting down when they're in their forties, let alone, <laughs> let alone their fifties and sixties. So yeah. I think for me, it's more just activities of daily living and how our diet in the U S has kind of restricted us. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm really curious about just how you approach coaching diet with your clients. Now, you know, in, in our in, in, in the States, like in the way that in our business, the way that we coach, we typically utilize macronutrient based protocols where, you know, we want people to, you know, select foods that digest well for them. And we help them figure out what those are. And we do take a holistic approach in that sense, but we're still macro based. How do you guys do it? And what's your approach? Yeah, I think here it is also macro based because they're, okay. they're, uh, they're dietitians and stuff like that. But I think we could find a balance in certainly there are some people that would consider both at the same time. So yes, you need a certain number of macros, which is totally fine. Uh, and then you can pick the macro that best fits you instead of just saying, well, you know, my, my brother, he's, he's planning to do a bodybuilding competition. And these days he's just doing salmon and sweet potatoes or just a type of fish or a type of chicken. And because mm -hmm. he's told that either chicken or fish is the best protein source because it's got all these omega-3 or what have you. But I think if we are to consider both, both perspectives, yes, you can meet your protein, uh, you can meet your needs, but you could also look into your body constitution. You can look at the way that your body is responding to certain protein and make sure that you pick the protein and the cooking method that suits your needs and and kind of your 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 current condition. Mm -hmm. When you what do you, when you refer to cooking method, what do you mean by that? Yep. So if it, if we kind of go back to using chi as the language, there are different types of chi, and it is believed that well, if we look at a piece, just food in general, it has his, his natural chi, but the way you prepare it would also influence it. For example, let's say if I have a coffee in my hand right now and coffee bean in itself, because it's a fruit, right? The coffee fruit, the coffee berry is a fruit. So fruit in general, it, is, it has a cooling effect, but yet because I roast it, so it, it alters the properties in, it becomes more heaty or it becomes more yang. It becomes hotter. Mm -hmm. And so if, let's say if today I'm making some chicken, if I'm just baking it if I, or if I'm frying it, then that will be significantly different than if I'm steaming it or just lightly frying it. Yeah. That's so interesting. So like, I mean, the way that you guys use the word energy and what you mean by it is so fascinating to me now having understood this, because in the States we're like, yeah, it just has more calories if you fry it. Like it has more calories from fat, but, and, and we're saying the same thing, but I just, yours is so much more holistic. Just the way that yeah. you talk about food is so much more holistic. Yeah. And, and, I, and I also tell people because I'm not a dietitian, so I, I like to stick to principles. And for me, I, I, I've always found that principles or general principles have worked quite well. And the second one is if, let's say if someone's having an acne breakout all the time, or if they have an oily face, then we know that their diet is not working out well because it's, it's just too much for the body to handle. And that's why they're having these breakouts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Paying attention to what food feels like and, and, 
how you digest it and what it does in your body. And, and, you know, I think looking at your skin is a really important metric there. A lot of times when we start coaching clients, like their skin gets better and that's just because they're paying more attention to what they're eating. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been, this has been fascinating. Travis, do you have any other questions? I know you had a few that you were written down. I I think we covered a lot of them. Yeah. I think we covered, we covered most of it. Yeah. Yeah. This was fascinating. And I, I, I love the, the explanation of the terminology that is utilized in traditional Chinese medicine. Cause a lot of times I think we just don't, we're, we're not familiar enough with the culture to understand what those terms actually mean. And we're saying similar things, but we're working a lot of times in isolation and you're working a lot of times uh, in like uh, a more holistic nature. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and I think that as a, as an athlete, it's only going to help if we, understand the different connections because so after this podcast episode, you might find that, Oh, perhaps I have been doing some soft tissue work through foam rolling through different stretches. But if I'm not incorporating breathing into the soft tissue work, then I'm not really downregulating the system. On the other hand, you know, you might listen to all these superfood episodes and you might be having all the superfoods there are in the world, but if you're stressed all the time, you know, if you're waiting in line, being pissed off at the person in front of you and looking at your phone, that's going to impact the way you digest the food, which will impact <laughs> the way you train. And there'll be, you know, a downward spiral. So uh, all that to say, I think everything is connected and, and we should definitely recognize that we cannot untangle them. That's a re- yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. It's like you could drink a gallon and a half of water <laughs> a day eat as the cleanest diet of anyone on the entire planet, take all the supplements, your training is dialed. But if you're just like a ball of stress and anger, it's like almost like you're still going to die of a heart attack. You know what I'm saying? There's really nothing you can do and vice versa. If you're the chillest person in the entire world, you never experience stress, but your diet is trash and you don't exercise, like you're still going to die of a heart attack. So it's like everything is all, all uh, (laughs) is all combined. Everything's connected. Yeah. You hear about stuff like this all the time where, you know, somebody who is in their maybe forties, super healthy person, like runs is, is an avid runner, like eats a healthy diet, dies of a heart attack or something catastrophic happens. And they're like, you never would have thought it. And like, there's, there's something there. Yeah. Like there's something there that was an excessive strain on the body just because you can't see it, just because they're taking care of themselves, they're moving well, they're eating well, maybe they're not managing their stress most effectively. And then at the same time, like on the other end of the spectrum, you think of people like probably in LA who like <laughs> Travis, because you live there, mm-hmm. like go out, party and do blow all yeah. night. But yeah, then it's like, a it's like, yeah. Oh, wake up. <laughs> oh, we need to get our kale smoothie. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I got my kale smoothie. It's not reversing the damage, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, this actually, dude, it's, this reminds yep. me of one of our previous episodes actually too, like, um, with, uh, the Dr. Yas, where he's talking yeah. about chronic pain and how mo- like the majority of physical pain that you feel the origin isn't coming from where the pain is. So most people, they have like back pain and they go to a doctor, the doctor scans their back. They see an issue in the, uh, in one of their vertebrae and then they like fuse it or they do surgery or something because everyone's got issues in their vertebrae, but they're not correlating the, and then, and then they get out of surgery and the pain's still there because they're not correlating the fact that like 
yes, there was a damage to your vertebrae, but that had nothing to do with the back pain, which is caused from a terrible muscular imbalance from sitting all the time. Um, and this guy's, you know, this guy's a legit doctor and he's been doing this for 30 years and he has cured a ton of people with basically like getting their body to function correctly. And this is basically, this is in a way exactly what you're saying, which is like, you know, if you're having digestion issues, it's like, yeah, you could get your gut dialed, but like, maybe that's not where the digestion issues are coming from. Maybe it's a stress thing because you hate your job your or whatever. Yeah. It's your emotions. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's like, that's a huge kind of epiphany. Yeah. This is stuff that I've been trying, I try to get across to our clients nonstop, like our clients and everybody on social media, like this is exactly what we talk about. This holistic approach to health and fitness, where we're not just paying attention to your macros, your meal plan and your training, but like your sleep, your hunger, your recovery, your energy, your digestion, your stress, your internal health, your fasted blood glucose. Like we need to take a functional holistic approach. So it has been super cool to talk to you, Andy, about just how this has sort of originated from traditional Chinese medicine. And I really hope that it continues to take the world by storm because it is like the human body requires holistic health. It requires a holistic approach. So I love that you've had the experience of living in the States and in Hong Kong and learning a lot from both of those experiences. Uh, And I appreciate you coming on to talk about it, man. Um, I know that our listeners are going to want to know where they can find you and where they can learn more, follow you. Um, but so I guess right now, if you wanted to leave our listeners with um, just some words of advice, some final words of wisdom and give yourself the plug, tell us where we can find you and learn more about you. That would be great. Yeah. I would say that we went over a lot in this uh, podcast episodes. Uh, and, and, and if you're someone who had literally had no idea what we talked about, uh, or who might be overwhelmed, know that it all begins with simple steps. And and this health and fitness, although we say that there are multiple things to look out for, at the end of the day, if you just live according to how you're supposed to live, you're going to be healthy. And I, and I think we should all be in the search for the most natural way of living because then, then that's what we're designed to do as humans. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can read up uh, different books on health and fitness to kind of help yourself uh, pack on some knowledge. And one of those great books is Dynamic Balance <laughs> that I, uh, I co-wrote and Dynamic Balance can be found on all major platforms, all major bookstores, uh, and you can get a copy there. And if you want to connect with me on social media, my Instagram is Andy, so T-S-Z-C-H-I-U Andy. And if you want to shoot me a message, just go from there. Awesome, man. I love it. And I highly recommend everybody who's listening, go check out Andy's book. If you're at all interested in what we talked about today, or if you just know about myself and the muscle building method and kind of how we operate, this is directly in line with our approach. And so I, for one, am very interested, uh, but I, I highly recommend anybody who's listening, like check out Andy's book, give him a follow on Instagram. And uh, I, I thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast. We will see y'all next week. 